Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, so today we are going to be talking about competition and basically whether or not we think competition can be ethical and how maybe it could be changed to become more ethical and... Also, hopefully we're gonna get into some types of clicker training, positive reinforcement online competitions and kind of spread a little bit of awareness about that. So I don't know, where should we start? (laughs) That's such a big topic. (laughs) I know. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of the issues I have with competition really comes down to just management and basic care. Yeah, that's so true because a lot of competition horses are you know, it's not just what's happening within the competition. It's also that because of competition, they're treated poorly outside of it. Like they're not allowed to have turnout or they are, you know, put into really restrictive equipment to force them to, you know, behave well during the competition. And I think we've seen in the news, a lot of stuff coming out about things. Like I know recently there was somebody who was getting kind of publicly called out and possibly getting some official sanctions. I think he might've been removed from competing, but I haven't been following the story that closely because it's just really depressing, but he was um, having somebody hold out a like piece of wood and hitting the horse in the legs when they were jumping with the wood, I would assume to make them feel like they were hitting the jump and that they need to jump higher. But like I said, I haven't followed the story very closely, but I think we hear things like that and like the man who is using the electric spurs and those type of things that are kind of becoming high profile cases about competition, possibly involving unethical methods. There was also maybe a year or so ago, that one girl that was using the electric saddle pad too. There's way too many things like that out there. Oh goodness. I didn't even hear about that one. Yeah. There was a video leaked of her using it and it didn't get a lot of attention, but there was some Yeah, that's crazy. And then we definitely saw with the Olympics, I know we briefly talked about this in another episode, but we definitely saw, you know, a lot of public outrage about everything that was going on with the pentathlon and specifically that one girl who was on Saint Boy and she was, you know, really hitting and and kicking him and being very aggressive. And then the trainer also was hitting him. So I think that also has created a lot of public awareness about this topic even possibly like beyond the horse world I think a lot of people kind of know about it especially since horse riding did get removed from the pentathlon and replaced with cycling which was pretty cool to see you know people taking the abuse that happened seriously yeah obviously I never want any of this stuff to happen but when there's something like that that comes out of it that's always really good yeah for sure because I mean this has been going on for so long and I feel like people in general, haven't really done much about it. So seeing kind of that change and seeing something happen is pretty good. Yeah, I've also seen more frequently people trying to add bridleless or barefoot into the competition world, more often actually with racing, which is really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. And that also reminds me of in the Olympics, having people who were competing with barefoot horses, which was really cool and probably, you know, shows people that the classic excuse of like, oh, my horse needs shoes because I show with him isn't necessarily true. I mean, these people are competing in the Olympics and they aren't using shoes. So anybody, you know, theoretically can. 
barefoot could be a feasible option for a lot of competition people, which I think would really increase welfare since a healthy hoof, you know, barefoot is very good for that. And obviously, if you want to know more about hoof care, you could go to our last episodes that are about hoof care. Yeah, I mean, hoof care, it sounds like such a small step, but it really is going in the right direction. And I think it's something like there's so much wrong with the horse world that that one tiny thing gives me hope. (laughs) Yes, I agree. And I think a lot too is happening in the social media world with turnout. Like we have a lot of pretty big figures kind of pushing for turnout, like Shelby Dennis, who has a good number of followers. It has been, you know, pretty repeatedly talking about turnout because there is the one professional rider who doesn't give turnout. And obviously she's not the only one, but right now she's like a pretty you know big figure who is being criticized for not giving turnout and I also have seen people like criticizing the fact that we have this conversation so much but it's like horses can't talk so we have to keep having this conversation for them until you know there's change being made and I do think a lot of the change that helps make things more ethical like making competition more ethical will happen from kind of like the masses kind of changing public opinion like through social media things like that if the, you know, the little people, the masses kind of change their opinion, then that's going to have an impact on, you know, who sponsors want to support because they don't want, sponsors don't want to upset the masses because then they're, they're not going to sell as much of their product or they're, you know, not going to be as successful of a company. So I think like we're doing a lot of really cool little things on social media and whatnot that seem small, but could lead to a lot of bigger changes. And like we've said, I think we've seen that with the pentathlon. Yeah, that was such a good example of that. And I hope we see more of that in the future, especially with the little things like turnout and not shoeing your horses. With turnout, it's such a like simple thing to just let your horse go in a pasture, but it could change everything for that horse's life. They're going to be happier. They're going to perform better. They're going to be more fit without you having to work as hard to keep them that way. And then obviously all their needs are going to be met if you manage their pasture appropriately. And it's just something so simple that anyone could do. I'm not really sure why we're stuck on horses needing to be in stalls. Yeah. I mean, I think there is just such a big fear that they're going to injure themselves if they're allowed to go out, which is just not, it doesn't make a lot of sense if they're willing to put the horses into very risky situations and competition, like jumping really high jumps and doing pretty complicated things and yet they're not going to allow them to go out and be horses I mean I very rarely see horses being you know injured in the pasture when they're used to being out and they have you know a healthy social relationship with the other horses and everything is pretty stable and consistent I rarely see injuries there I will say I had a good friend unfortunately have an incident with her horse a couple days ago who is turned out 24 7 where the horse fell and has a pretty serious possibly bone break or tendon tear they did some x-rays and they didn't see any bone breaks but they weren't totally confident it wasn't a break so that's you know that's very rough to see something like that happen in the pasture but I think those things are pretty rare for horses that are consistently getting turnout and I think a lot of the injuries that do occur happen because the horse isn't used to being turned out or doesn't have good social skills with other horses so they end up kind of getting into some type of issue because of that like if your horse is used to being confined and they want to be out and then you let them out they might run around and go crazy and do something weird or they might not have built up 
the same type of, you know, being used to movement and the muscles and everything to be able to run and have that type of healthy movement without getting injured. So I think, you know, most injuries probably happen because of the horse not being used to turnout and then getting into trouble because of that. Um, so it's not that injuries can't happen in the pasture, but it's a fairly low risk compared to the high reward of your horse being happy and healthy and being able to live like a normal natural horse. Yeah. And I would argue too, that competing a horse is probably way more risky than letting them go in a pasture if they're set up to be successful in that. Obviously, if your horse is stalled 24 seven, you just throw them out. That's pretty risky, (laughs) but a competition, depending on your level, obviously there's some things that aren't going to be as dangerous, but you are putting the horse at risk, especially if you're stalling them because they're not going to be as fit. Yeah, that's so true. And like competition is very dangerous. I actually, my grandfather had seen a horse have to be put down at a polo match. He used to like to go to polo matches because they had the Muir's house in Florida and a horse I think was hit in the head with the mallet. And so was like very injured because of that. And the horse had to be put down at the scene, which is just very sad. And obviously that was kind of a freak accident. I'm sure most of the time those things don't happen in polo, but you know, that was a risk that was created by the competition. So I think a big part of trying to make competition ethical as well is kind of minimizing those risks and seeing, you know, what you can do to make it a little bit safer. And I think another issue is that a lot of the competitions, especially the cross country courses are getting really kind of extreme and difficult. I saw a lot of people talking about the cross country courses at the Olympics and just at like other different big competitions being very difficult and just kind of risky for the horse and for the person. And so, you know, I I think that kind of minimizing that and, you know, being able to make a quality cross country course that isn't going to be overly dangerous just for, you know, getting people's attention or getting views, but instead like prioritizing what's going to be safe for the horse would really help. Yeah, it's amazing how high they can jump, but they don't need to do that. (laughs) That's so much. Yeah. (laughs) Like some of those jumps are taller than I am. That's insane. Yeah, totally. I went to the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event, previously the Rolex three-day event. And I went there because I used to be really into horse photography and I wanted to take some photos. So my dad and I went there in, I think, 2018, maybe. And it was really interesting to see because they were so accomplished and so good. But I mean, it was so just dangerous looking again. Some of the jumps were bigger than me and I'm pretty short, but still it's a lot. And I actually did see, you know, the infamous Marilyn Little with her horse with blood in her mouth. And I, you know, snapped some pictures of it. So that was, I guess, one of my first introductions to like, wow, competition really is possibly unethical and obviously like one person doing something bad and having blood in their horse's mouth doesn't mean it's all bad but that just kind of caused me to look at it critically and be like yikes I came here to like appreciate horses and take some photos but now I'm like seeing this horse with blood in its mouth and you know I I saw some of the horses like going through their vet check and some of them were like not sound after doing you know the two days of one of dressage and one of cross country specifically probably from the cross country they weren't sound so they weren't able to continue on it's just very hard on the horse, I think. 
Yeah, and I think at some point, too, the competition becomes even less about the horse and more just about the winning. A lot of the time it does come down to ego, unfortunately, and then the horse is just kind of getting the short end of the stick and not being cared for appropriately. I don't think these people don't love their horses. I just think they're kind of getting blinded. Yeah, I totally agree. And I do feel for the people a little bit because I think it's very hard to be in that public you know, setting and have people all watching you. And also, you know, the kind of myth that we have in the horse world that the horse always has to be listening to you and has to be like respecting you and doing whatever you tell it to do, even if that's something painful or dangerous. And so if, if you're not able to, you know, make the horse do what you want, people think you're a lesser person. And, you know, I even feel that on my small level. So I'm sure these people in the competition feel it way more. Yeah, I can only imagine the pressure they feel at such a high level, even at lower levels. Like I just did an open show one time and even that was really stressful. Yeah, for sure. I used to do little fun shows. I did two with my old horse, Bella, that I um, had before Coco. And then I did one with Coco and I did one with another horse, Buck. And I did one with another horse, Bella, who wasn't the same Bella as my old Bella, but um, (laughs) I was very always like nervous for it because I I thought the horse might not listen or I was like, you know, worried to be going into that environment where everyone's watching you and they're going to be seeing what you're doing. And like, this was like, I said, a fun show. It's not rated or, you know, really meaning anything. And when I was riding the horse, Bella, she was a very kind of fancy horse. She was a Frisian cross with something else. And she was like very beautiful and very fun to ride. And I remember like I had to wear spurs on her and stuff because I was like really trying to, you know, make her listen and do well and everything. And like the show went well. I did my first ever jumping course and I actually got first over like people who were like actual jumping lesson students, whereas I had never done a jumping lesson, but it was because the horse was so good, not because of me, but I guess like looking back, it's unfortunate that I felt like I had to use spurs and all those things for such like a small, just for fun show, not like a serious thing. Even if it was a serious thing, I still shouldn't have, but I guess it's so normalized. Yeah, it's really unfortunate how normal that is. That one little open show I did, there was like three or four people competing against me and the horse's tongue was tied. He was in a harsh bit. I think he had double reins. I'm not completely sure. I can't remember. And I had to use a whip because he had already competed like four or five times that day. And it's just so much stress for something so small. Like it doesn't even mean anything. Oh goodness. Yeah, that's not good at all. It's just, yeah, I think it's crazy to see the lengths that people will go to even just for like small shows to get their horse to listen. And I think it is that social pressure like we were talking about and just, you know, perpetuating those myths that the horse has to be doing what you're asking yeah so anyways I really like the format of online shows because I think it can kind of allow horses to not have to be on at a specific moment it can allow you know you to take time and practice with the horse and get everything right and then just kind of record it when the horse is in the right mindset to do it so I think online shows are really promising for being able to give the horse that flexibility yeah I really love the idea of having an online show because Usually it's pre-recorded, so you can do it on your horse's best day. And like with dogs, we practice the three Ds. So there's distance, duration, and distraction of a behavior. But with horses, I don't really see that practice very much. 
the duration and clicker training we will usually add and sometimes distance depending on what it is but the distraction part I don't really see like that's not something people think about really like if a horse performs really well at home we expect them to go to a show and then perform exactly the same but it's such a different environment yeah that's so true and I think a lot of traditional trainers don't even recognize that as a thing that they need to even think about so they just you know expect if the horse listens to them then it will listen to them wherever they go and I mean I kind of did that as well when I took Coco to the one fun show that we did I you know hadn't really trailered her anywhere or you know even before I had her she hadn't been trailered many places except in the move because Joe doesn't have a trailer so um she didn't really take her many places when she had her and so I was just like Coco let's go to a fun show and expect you to do well but she was like what is going on where am I so she did well and she did fine but you know I it was probably because I was forcing her to which is unfortunate yeah I wish that like dog training facilities more like horse show locations whether it's like a fancy equestrian center or just like someone's barn I wish that they would have some kind of program where you could rent it out and practice there because just that little bit of extra time being there without all the distractions could be really helpful to horses regardless of how they're being trained yeah that's a really good point and the place where the fun show was actually did have that as an option because it was actually owned by the county. And so there were public trails that anybody could go on and the arenas were also open to people who trailered in. So, you know, theoretically I could have gone there. I didn't have a trailer though. So I was also kind of at the whim of whenever other people were going somewhere, I had to tag along with them. But yeah, I mean, that would definitely could have been a possibility where I was and that really would have helped, I think. I wish everyone did that. <laughs> that would be so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in general, you know, working up to things like a show and making sure they're comfortable with that location and with traveling in general would really help because I think, you know, I guess people who show a lot are traveling a lot, but I still feel like a lot of the methods of travel might not be very pleasant for the horse or might even be traumatic, like especially for really big competitions and having to fly on a plane like that's crazy. I feel like that would be pretty scary for a horse. Yeah, I can't imagine what they'd be feeling. And they're probably with other horses that are unfamiliar to them. They're on a plane. <laughs> That's insane on its own. And like they're taken away from their home. They're brought somewhere entirely new. Like they have no clue what's going on. And maybe they're less stressed if it's something they're used to doing. But I still don't really think that makes it ethical. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think... Personally, I think it's probably very hard for those, you know, big competitions to be ethical because there is so much riding on it, you know, like a person's career, possibly making money and all those things that are going to cause them to kind of not put the horse first, even if they have all the best intentions or they think they're doing well. It's just there's so many other factors that will influence that. I think it's, you know, not impossible, maybe, but definitely very 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 hard to make those type of things ethical and I think like we've covered some of the things that could help with that like making sure they have their needs met outside of the competition trying to you know decrease the amount of averse equipment equipment you're using and listening to them if they're having an off day and not forcing them to compete that day but I think it's really hard to actually like get these things in practice because of all the pressure on you know the competition yeah, and it's really unfortunate that it is that way. And like you said, some people do have careers based on riding horses and competition where 
it's something they have to do it's their livelihood but I still wish they would do some things to try to make it better like we said before turnout like that's something everyone can do but it's not being practiced yeah that's so true I think like another major issue with competitions is that a lot of the time the person does see it as more of a job and they're not the person who is you know tacking up the horse and taking care of the horse on a regular basis they're just maybe the person who's coming and getting on to ride in the show hopefully they you know practice and train on the horse but still they're not really doing a lot of the care related things a lot of the time in those upper levels and I think really like part of what is cultivated my love for horses and my understanding of horses is the time that I'm spending you know caring for them or just being around them and hanging out and not having like those expectations of doing a training session so I think like if we have this culture of seeing the horse as a sports equipment like oh I'm just gonna hop on and ride it and the actual you know person who's competing isn't taking the time to get to know the horse and doing things with them outside of training then obviously you know that's going to keep continuing seeing them as sports equipment yeah for sure on a way less extreme degree I had that same thing with lesson horses with lesson horses where like I did groom them and I would tack them up but like I wasn't taking care of them or seeing them every day it was like once a week for an hour so in that situation even I felt some more pressure to perform well for something as simple as just a lesson like it doesn't mean anything at all it's even less meaningful in a show but now that I have my horses at home and it's winter and freezing out I don't even really train that much right now like it's mostly (laughs) just care like I go out a million times a day and feed and check their hooves brush them whatever and I enjoy that equally as much yeah that makes a ton of sense and I kind of had the same thing definitely honestly, maybe even a little bit less with lesson horses, because I used to, um, when I did lessons, I would help out with the lessons. So I would, you know, go multiple days a week, and I would fill up the supplement things for the horses. They got MSM, really, was the only thing, but I would fill up their things with MSM, and then I would, you know, help with the lessons, like leading kids around if they were really young and needed a leader, or helping people tack the horses, or taking the horses in and out of turnout, things like that. And I, like, remember being younger and having like this really cool sense of wonder about like oh wow the horses are so cool I'm so lucky that I get to kind of be around horses every day this is really really cool and then shortly after that I started leasing Bella who was my old horse and that was really good and I really developed a really close relationship with her and then there was sort of like a traumatic situation for me where she was kind of like suddenly taken away and it was very unexpected and I wasn't able to see her after that really. So that kind of like put me in a weird place and really upset me. And then very shortly after that, I got Coco because I think my parents were like, oh my God, Jen's traumatized. We need to like fix this. So um, we were actually planning to buy Bella. So they were already prepared to buy a horse. So we just went ahead and bought a different horse, which was Coco. And then for a while, I was only seeing Coco like once a week on the weekend, especially because I couldn't drive, but also because I was just like, in a weird place mentally and I would just see her once a week and ride so I definitely at that point was kind of just using her for riding I guess and it was also like the norm at the barn I was boarding like everyone who went there rode pretty much like if you just show up to groom your horse it's like what the heck are you doing why are you even here so I think I actually like used to have more of an appreciation for them and then kind of got back to this place where I was like kind of seeing her as more of an equipment just to show up and ride once a week 
And then obviously that changed again. And I saw her way more as, you know, a, a horse that I cared about and a horse to develop a relationship with and also no longer rode her. But yeah, so I think it's a lot of the time you kind of start with this like appreciation for the horses. And then over time, it, you know, due to just things that happen in the horse world or to like trainers teaching you bad information, you kind of lose that sense of wonder and become more like seeing them as equipment. Yeah, definitely. It's something that gets shut down and desensitized all the time. And I can see where that disconnect to the horses being like their own beings can come from because the trainers do shut you down and they are seen as just equipment. I definitely agree too that most of the time when we get into horses, it's for the love of horses. It's not to be riding. And that's kind of just a bonus that comes along with them. I got into horses when I was like not even able to hold my head up (laughs) because my mom would carry me (laughs) while riding so I grew up with them pretty young and then my mom lost contact with that friend so I kind of got taken out of it but at that point I was helping feeding and picking up poop and sleeping the barn aisle and turning horses in and out or helping I mean I was like five so I couldn't do much but (laughs) I thought I was helping and yeah then that point it really was just because I loved horses and it didn't have anything to do with the riding. And I really did just see that at a, as a bonus at that point. But then when I got back into it and was riding under instructors, that's like all it was about. And it wasn't until I got wonder that I was able to kind of re- reignite that passion for horses and recognize that there's so much more to them than just sitting on their back. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. It's almost like we get into a state of learned helplessness where like (laughs) the trainers kind of teach us that like our feelings for horses, like, you know, compassion towards them and stuff aren't going to be. Yeah. So I think, you know, if trainers could kind of stop treating their lesson students in that way and kind of like telling them that their urges to be compassionate and things like that were not wrong, if they stopped telling them not to do that, then I think that that could really help with a lot of people's treatment of horses because I really think like we do trust the professionals even when the professionals maybe shouldn't be trusted. Yeah and that's a theme with a lot of horse things and just animal care in general honestly. It's really unfortunate that we have to dig up more and more research to back up our own thoughts and feelings when really the professional should just be giving us the right information to begin with. I know we've talked about it before, but like there really is no true certification or anything for training at all, but especially with horses. So you do have to be really careful with who you're trusting. Yeah, that's so true. And even with things like farriers and vets, even who do have, you know, farriers, maybe not, but vets at least have, you know, pretty legitimate certifications. They had to go to vet school and you know, they have experience and obviously vets know more than I do, but there are still even some things that vets teach or practice where I'm like, I don't really think, you know, based on the very small amount of science that I know that that is something that we should do, like specifically the colic thing, which we don't need to get into here, but the whole walking the colic thing, we've obviously talked about it briefly before. And I talk about it all the time because I think it's such an important thing that people don't really know is that you really should not be like extensively walking your tired colicking horse. You really should let them rest like a short period of walking, maybe for like 10 minutes or maximum 30 minutes might be fine if the horse is willing to do that. But 
if the horse doesn't want to walk, you shouldn't make them walk. And so things like that, it's like, you know, I've had so many vets tell me, walk the horse for hours, just keep walking them, don't let them stop. So it's like, who can you really trust if you can't rely on everything that a vet is saying? And there are plenty of great vets out there who do know that you shouldn't, you know, continually walk a colicking horse, but it's just very hard because I think most vets, at least in my area, definitely do teach that you need to keep walking them. Yeah, same for here. And I've talked about it before too, but like I have a friend who has a horse that has EMS and they never even mentioned to take the horse off of grain-based foods. They just said, you know, remove the grain, but keep the ration balancer. And they didn't even ask about the one they were feeding and what it had in it. So it could have even just been like, I don't even know. I can't think of a brand like a Purina brand or something that's supposed to be a ration balancer, (laughs) but maybe it's still almost exclusively corn and wheat. So like, there's just a lot of misinformation that's spread even by professionals and it's really unfortunate. Yeah, that's so true. And I think a lot of like food brands will also say like low starch, low sugar, safe for you know, horses with dietary restrictions or whatever. But then if you actually look at the ingredients, it still has like 20% NSC or something. Obviously, like anybody who knows anything about, you know, horses that need low carb or even just like what a good horse diet is in general would know that 20% NSC is really not ideal and that's pretty high level. So I think like you want to be able to trust these brands that are kind of official that are saying these things, but unfortunately you have to really look at the ingredients and you can't really trust yeah and 20 nsc is actually pretty high even just for a normal healthy horse with no metabolic issues yeah that's very very true i mean horses just aren't really made to be eating high carbs so it's very important for any horse to have you know that that low nsc level you enjoyed this episode of click treat repeat feel free to check us out on instagram at click treat repeat pod you can find jen at genuine equine and myself at bonafide.bt we upload new episodes every other monday and hope to see you then happy training